everyone. Welcome back to the Last Word on Sens podcast. This is episode 11. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. And today I'm wrapping up the other teams in the division for the season preview. And I have the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, I have a great chat here. We, we talk about the Fords, defensemen, and the goaltending and why the goaltending... Um, you know, might be the biggest spot to keep an eye on this year for Toronto and, uh, you know, exactly what this team brings. So uh, if you don't want to hear a bunch of uh, good things and, and some, some questions asked, but a lot of good things about the Toronto Maple Leafs, this might not be your episode, but uh, I, I really hope you do listen because it is a really good uh, conversation and, and, you know, I enjoyed recording it a lot. Um, this is uh, obviously the last team of the Canadian t- division, other than Ottawa itself. I'm hoping to get an Ottawa one recorded in the next couple days and posted for Friday or before. And then, you know, from there, it's off and running on the season. We're, we're almost there. So, uh, super exciting. It looks like the final touches on, on the roster are going to be cleaned up after uh, tonight after I'm recording. So, hopefully by the preview, we know exactly what this roster looks like and we can get underway. So, uh, thank you everyone for listening. I hope you enjoy this. Uh, as always, you can find me on Twitter at NHLSends and stuff. And you can find the podcast on Twitter at Last Word on Sends. Uh, hope everyone enjoys this and thank you very much for listening. Joining me now, he is the Locked On Leafs host. You can also hear him from time to time on TSN 1050 Radio. Is Michael Di Stefano? Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. How's it going, man? I'm doing good. Doing good. How are you? Oh, pretty good. You know, just running through uh, the season breakdowns. This is uh, number seven of seven that I've done, and probably the fourth in two days now that I've recorded. So, um, you know, I've, I've had a lot of fun with these and the more that I do, the more I get excited for this division because uh, there's just so much to talk about with literally every team. And uh, honestly, this team might have the most to talk about it going from the, you know, the, the year they had last year to the off season to, you know, coming into this year. And uh, obviously that's the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, uh, you know, they had an up and down year last year. They looked good at times. They looked very bad at times, uh, got into the bubble, played Columbus, I thought played a pretty good series overall, you know, like they had, they had some up and downs in the series too, but at the end of the day, Corpus outplayed uh, Anderson and that was the huge difference and the Leafs lost in five. And uh, you know, that was definitely a very disappointing and humbling outcome, I think. And it led to an off season of questions. That's for sure. A hundred percent. I mean, there were so many rumors or not rumors, but a lot of chance going around time to fire Dubis and, uh, you know, Sheldon Keefe was already had some fire Keefe chance going. It's like the guy's been around for like six months. You're ready to, to castrate this guy here in Toronto. Like it was, it's crazy, but I mean, there's, it's never a dull moment in, in Leafs nation and here in Toronto, people just get a little, a little too excited and, and a little overpassionate sometimes about their Maple Leafs. But you know what? It spurred into uh, quite the off season where Kyle Dubas did in fact make a, a large number of changes and not just, you know, adding some players, but really it seems like change the identity of this team. And I'm excited to see what, you know, all those changes can do with the, they, they took a lot of speed and skill and kind of turned it into uh, grit and leadership. And, and we'll see if that turned out to be uh, the, the right direction. Yeah, it's super intriguing what they've done, you know, just with a lot of these players. Um, and, you know, I, I guess we can start with, you know, moving some of that speed and skill out in, in um, uh, they, well, they started early and they moved Kasperi Kaplan out in, which to me now looks like the trade of the summer, really. Um, you know, we see as the summer goes on, there was a lot of really good players available for really, really cheap. Um, and, you know, even some guys like, you know, on Tampa, Tyler Johnson, they couldn't pay to get rid of them, you know, or they didn't want to pay too much. Clearly, um, they tried putting on waivers. No one took them for free. But uh, Kyle Dubas got on an early trade Kasperi Kappen into the Pittsburgh Penguins. 
Uh, in return, they get a first round pick back and a pretty good prospect or you know, a decent prospect. I'm not going to say he's a blue chip or anything like that, but he's all right. And the, the first was the big thing because it replaced what they lost in, in Carolina. And, um, you know, to me, that goes under the table. It's just one of the one of the biggest moves for any team in the offseason, because looking back at it now, it just looks so much better. Oh, uh, the Capitan trade. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that that was a a work of art by Kyle Dubas, and it, it gets better and better by the day. I was totally in favor of that trade when it went down. Just the fact that, I mean, you were able to get a first round pick, but then the cap relief that they're able to get on top of that was just a sweetener. You know, there were some people saying, "Yeah, but you know, how are you going to replace that?" Like, if you look at it, the Leafs are are not a better team today. They're a worse team today, and Pittsburgh is a better team. But it's like, okay, but they they now have a little bit of flexibility and cap to be able to go out and either re-sign guys or go out in free agency and, and make some signings. And that's what they were able to do. And, and that's how you end up with, you know, Joe Thornton and, and uh, Wayne Simmons, you know, they didn't make any massive splashes. I guess TJ Brody uh, coming in was a pretty big hit and he's making what 5 million, I think it is. So it, those trades were, were I think key to allowing this team to be, to be players in the free agent market, getting one of the top defensemen in TJ Brody, who I think is going to have a great season here with the Maple Leafs. But, you know, you factor in that one and the Andreas Janssen deal as well, and they didn't have to give up anything for it. They essentially uh, were got him. They gave him away for what Anderson, who's like a 23 year old tweener, probably just depth AHL guy, but they got him off their hands. It didn't have to pay anything for it. And we're able to relieve three and a half million dollars of cap. So I think those two trades that Dubas uh, was able to kind of hammer out pretty early into the off season, um, certainly helped this team build going forward. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I, I think the captain just like, I, I mean, I'm just so astonished with the captain one because, as I said, the Janssen one, I, I totally understand it from Toronto's perspective. I really like it from New Jersey. They picked up a cheap player for nothing. And as you said, Joey Anderson, I could see him being a guy on on the um, taxi squad or whatever for uh, for Toronto this year. You know, a tweener who who might be able to break into the lineup for a couple games if they need him. But um, the, the money they got off was so important. And as you said, you know, we'll get into TJ Brody in the blue line in a second. But even just to be able to go afford guys up front, I mean – um, you know, this, this forward core, it, it's definitely looking a little bit different this year. That's for sure. Um, I, I am really interested to see if some of these guys work because, you know, when they, when they brought in Joe Thornton and they brought in Wayne Simmons and it looks like Simmons is playing lowered in down the lineup, but even a guy like Jimmy VC who came super cheap, you know, um, the thought was those are kind of going to be third, fourth line players who are providing more of a leadership role, but um, right off in camp here, Sheldon Keefe has made a bit of a splash and he's put Joe Thornton up on the line with Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews and, I'm I'm really curious to see how this works out. You know, I think it could work well, but um, at the same time, you know, there, there's got to be a little bit of question about Joe Thornton's legs. You know, um, he's still one of the smartest players in the game. There's no denying that. Um, so I'm really interested to see, you know, um, if this will stick and, you know, just what, what kind of splash this will be with Thornton up with Matthews and Marner. Yeah, I think like most people, I I was shocked when I when I read it on on day one of camp, and we saw Joe Thornton as the the number one left wing next to Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner in camp, and then you go right down to the next spot, the number two left wing position, you see Jimmy VC, and I'm like, what does this new top six look like? Like, whatever happened to Hyman and McKay? Are they injured? No, nope, they're just down the lineup, and I guess just decide to scramble it up a little bit and see what's working, and try and give uh, opportunities to to other players, but I. I 
think it could work. And if it doesn't, you know, you have other options that do work. So I don't know if the leash is going to be too long. Like if Joe Thornton struggles out of the gate and uh, the, that, that line just isn't producing as much or Joe Thornton isn't pulling his weight because he is 41 years old. Um, I don't think it'll be too, too long before, you know, they kind of scrap that idea and shove Hyman back up on that line where they know they have a pretty solid, uh, pretty solid trio there. But for the, for the most part, I, I, I like the fact that they're taking a look at it because look, if there's one thing that Joe Thornton does is he's got high hockey IQ and he's got unreal vision out on the ice and he's going to be able just to put the puck in spots that Austin Matthews has never had it before. And he's going to be able to rip off so many goals. He's going to put people in op- in like Marner and Matthews, I think, are going to have exceptional seasons if Thornton can play each and every game and keep up with them. That remains to be seen. But from from what we've seen from his career so far, I, I like the fact that we're getting a chance to see what it could look like. Yeah, I mean, for sure. And uh, Keith obviously is someone who uh, isn't f- afraid to put the the lineup in the blender if he needs to. You know, we, we've seen in yeah. the bubble he did it. And and when, you know, just taking over to try and shake things up, he he would mix those rosters up during the game, before the game, whenever he felt needed. And um, so, yeah, definitely, I, I feel like if it's really not working, it won't be, they won't be on a big leash. But, you know, I, I can honestly see the first line working more that I can not more maybe, but I'm, I have more questions about Jimmy VC playing a top six role than I do Joe Thornton because yes, VC's quicker, but I just Thornton clearly has the IQ. He's been one of the best players in the world for years. Whereas Jimmy VC, he, to me, just kind of feels like a, a fourth liner at this point. And um, you know, this is really his, this is going to be his last real good shot to show he can play in the top nine of a talented team because there's no better players to be doing it with uh, than John Tavares and William Elander. you know, Tavares, especially someone who's known to prop his line mates up. So uh, this is a, a really make or break opportunity for Jimmy VC too. And, you know, if, if he takes uh, advantage of it and makes the most of it, he could really revive his career as well. No, 100 uh, percent on my show, Lockdown Leafs. I, I talked about some guys who, you know, this year, what it means for them and VC. This is definitely a make or break year. If, if he comes out here and he plays well enough, um, I, I think that he's going to revive his career and, and be able to get a decent contract elsewhere next season. Um, at that certainly more than the 900,000 that he's making this year. But I like it because, and I think it has more to do, to be honest with you, uh, for Sheldon Keefe. And and I know this for a fact because I heard him say it um, in an interview uh, on Overdrive. But he essentially, he wants a third line that uh, a traditional checking line. And and he really wanted to see what a lineup of Ilya Mikheyev, Alex Kerfoot, and Zach Hyman can look like. I think that's his traditional checking line that he wants to put out there and see if it works. And in order to do that, they kind of had to move around uh, a guy like Jimmy VC and, and, and like, you know, th- like if you take those wingers out from the spot that they were in last year, first and second line, you got to put somebody there. So Joe Thornton took Zach Hyman's spot and then Jimmy VC is going to take McKayev's spot. And now you've got that traditional third line checking line in McKayev, Kerfoot and Hyman. So I don't know necessarily if this is a, hey, VC, you have a great opportunity go out there and and get it or this is more so them saying we had to put somebody there and I would rather give it to a player like VC who in the past has had success like this is somebody it's not like he he hasn't scored in the NHL and if you recall him coming out of college the Maple Leafs were a team that really high highly high on him um, went after him and and he you know he was a, a really successful player 
And it hasn't quite translated as much as we had hoped. You know, he's hovering, what, between 15 and, and 16, 17 goals each season. Um, and, and that's really all he's going to have to do on this second line with Tavares and Nylander. Anything more than that is really just a bonus. But I think that it could work in in the in a way where Jimmy VC can just have to play puck retrieval role. I don't know if he's necessarily going to be somebody who they want to go out there and really produce offensively, but if he could play kind of an Ilya Mikheyev or Zach Hyman type role, go into the dirty areas, grind it out in the corners, along the boards, get the puck over to Tavares or Nylander and let them do the thing in the offensive zone or have him go right to the net and provide a big screen, you know, six foot three, 200 pounds. Is he's, he's a pretty thick and big guy. I think that's kind of the role that they're going to be looking for at a VC. Yeah, and I mean, that's such the advantage to having two elite centermen such as John Tavares and Austin Matthews is, um, you know, it's the same without West and Edmonton with uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl where you're not always worried about, you know, who, who's on the wing with them because um, generally speaking, their line is going to produce, you know, obviously you put a little more skilled players, you, they might produce more, but then um, it really allows you to, to have depth down your lineup like like they do. And I'm really, really in, intrigued to see what this third line looks like because, um, you know, I, I got to listen to, the, I listened to the interview on Overdrive with Keith as well. And, and uh, you know, he seemed really, uh, really excited to try it out. I can see why, because, you know, Hyman and Mikheyev have both shown they're very, very good wingers. You know, they're hardworking, they're gritty, they'll go get the puck. Um, Hyman's shown that for, you know, half a decade now in Toronto. And Mikheyev only had the part year of it, but he looked really good in that part year. And if he looks anything like he did last year, you know, the Leafs will be loving it on their third line. And, you know, Kerfoot is just that. He, he's a third line center. You know, I, I thought last year he took um, a, a bit of hate, you know, because he wasn't Nazem Kadri, but I, I think that's not really his fault. He was exactly what he was expected to be. You know, he's being paid, I think, three and a half million dollars to be a solid third line center. And I think having two really good wingers that, you know, they're not highly skilled, but they're going to go get him the puck and he can help with it. You know, they, this should be a defensive responsible line and also one that just causes the uh, opposing defense a lot of job, uh, trouble. Yeah, I, I may have been one of those guys who were talking a little bit of smack about Kerfoot last year, to be quite honest with you. Um, and, and I was hoping for a little bit of, a, of an upgrade, especially with a cap crunch. I was like, ah, paying three and a half million for Kerfoot seems a, seems a little much at this point. But, you know, I've, I've since cooled and settled on on Kerfoot and I'm OK with him. And I actually do like him with this lineup. Uh, th- those three, McKay of Kerfoot and Hyman. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of McCabe and Hyman. Like I, when I played hockey myself, I, I was more of like a, a stay at home defenseman. Cause I, you know, not the most fleet of foot as you could maybe imagine. Uh, so I've always, I've always enjoyed the kind of, uh, tough grittier guys. And, and that's kind of what McCabe and Hyman are. And this is a lineup that I believe can really shut some teams down. They're going to get an opportunity, uh, to, to maybe, you know, Austin Matthews may get this some heavy minutes against, you know, big boys like uh, McDavid and stuff, but I still, there's, there's a lot of depth in this Canadian division and they're going to have to have a few lines out there uh, that they're going to be able to, to line match against and having so a, a team or a, a lineup like McKay of Kerfoot and Hyman, uh, I think that they'll be able to get it done. 
Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree. I mean, um, you know, you look around this uh, this Canadian division, and one of the themes I've been saying is the ability to play in, in a bunch of different ways is going to be important. And I definitely think Toronto has the pieces to do that. It just now we get to see if they can do it because, you know, they can stretch their depth out, uh, you would hope anyways, and, and go against, you know, if you if you need the line match, both McDavid and Dreisaitl, you know, they're one of the few teams who I think can effectively do it and maybe still have guys left to uh, give some hell on that third line as well. And, you know, maybe it's a team like Ottawa where, you know, they got more top end talent on just, you know, with Brady Kachuk and Evgeny Dadnov on that first line, you know, maybe you load up that first line and try and shut them down, but then you're still going to have the depth to go. And that's going to be a huge piece of this Canadian division. And then, you know, we get to the fourth line and again, there's just, a lot of interesting names here. You know, right now, Alexander Barabanov is slotted in there on daily faceoff on the left wing. And I think it's fair to say he's going to get a shot. Jason Spezza seems like he's going to be just the solid 4C going forward this year. And, and that makes enough sense to me. He's looked good as a 4C, you know, for this team last year. And and Wayne, Wayne Simmons on the right wing. And uh, Simmons is the one that I'm really curious to uh, keep an eye on on that fourth line this year. Because, uh, you know, if you look at, you know, analytically, uh, a lot of things have said he just really he's been a replacement level player or even slightly below the past couple of years. But I do part of me thinks there could be a role on this Toronto team where, you know, he's he's on that fourth line. They need a little bit more grit. Um, you know, you still want some skill to play with it, but he's the perfect guy on like a power play too to go stand in front of the net, bang some rebounds home as well. And so I'm really curious to see what he's got to give on, you know, this fourth line right wing as well. Yeah, I, I don't have a problem with Wayne Simmons playing the fourth line. I think that's probably where I would put him at this point in his career. Last year, he was averaging about 15 minutes of ice time a game, and that may have been just a little bit too much. So I think, you know, dialing down his responsibilities and, and getting more out of less time would probably be more beneficial for a guy like Simmons. Only playing, you know, roughly 10 to 12 minutes a game, and, and you're right, maybe get him playing uh, on, on the penalty kill a little bit. Uh, but I, I don't have a problem with that. I think that him on the fourth line makes a lot of sense. I know that when he was signed, there were some that were thinking, oh, is he signed to be a top six guy? Could he fill in somewhere there? I'm like, no, he, he's a bottom six player. That's what he is at this point in his career. And it's, you know, we're being shown that also was the case, uh, was the plan all along as, as training camp starts and he's sitting there on the fourth line right wing spot. So it, it totally makes sense. Uh, Jason Spezza, I think, you know, you said he's he's the four C going forward. I, I don't think that um, a guy like Pierre Engvall is going to unseat him from that position. I think he's earned the respects uh, not only from, from, you know, hockey people, but from, everybody in in the organization that he deserves to be the fourth line center for this team each and every night that he chooses to play. Um, and plus, you know, you take a look at, at Jason Spence's season last year, once Keith came into uh, get, became the head coach of this team, he took a step up. He started playing a lot better. So I, I'm excited to see what Spezza could do uh, on a full year basis with Sheldon Keith. And as for Alex Barabanov, I, I think that he's, Definitely, uh, you kind of said they're going to give him a shot. I would say that's probably true because there's there was quite a few suitors that were trying to land his services coming over from Russia, and I would assume that one of the big things for him was I want a chance to play. I want to be able to play. So there had to have been some sort of handshake deal that said, "Yeah, you'll you'll play. We'll give you some NHL time, and we'll give you a shot. We'll give you a chance to kind of work out your kinks as you try and adjust to the the NHL level." And the Maple Leafs clearly were on board with that. And Bear Bonham's going to get a chance here on the fourth line and you know I like I said it's a fourth line as long as they aren't out there getting scored on I think they're doing their job 
Yeah, exactly. And I think the the interesting about uh, thing about this Leafs team up front uh, too is, you know, they just have a lot of guys who they can uh, seemingly fill in. You know, I already mentioned Joey Anderson. He might be a guy who you look to put on the taxi squad. Pierre Engvall is definitely going to be an extra there who, um, you know, I could see definitely Spezza and Simmons taking some nights off, especially on back-to-backs. Like it's a loaded schedule this year. You know, you want to keep them rested for playoffs. Let Engvall, let, uh, uh, you know, Joey Anderson slide in. You go, you got Nick Robertson sitting there. And, um, you know, obviously they didn't let him go to the World Juniors or he chose not to because he wanted to try and make this team out of camp. And right now it doesn't look like he will, but that doesn't mean he's not going to get a shot at some point. And they got Travis Boyd as well, who can play center or right wing. So, um, you know, they they have a lot of guys up front that they can, they can fill in when needed. And that's going to be a really good thing this year, because, you know, with, uh, with some of the older guys bringing them in, you know, there's going to be nights that need rest. Uh, You know, even someone like Joe Thornton, if he gets banged up, you know, take him out for a night or two. That's okay. You know, you got the depth to hopefully fill that in if you need it and then let him come back when it's a hundred percent. And they, they've definitely given themselves a chance to be able to do that this year. And it's good to see. Yeah. It was, was such a truncated season. I think so like 56 games in 115 or 113 days, something like that. You're going to have these, these older guys, you know, Fortin, Thornton, 41, Spets at 37, Wayne Simmons, he's only 32, but for some reason, Wayne Simmons, it feels like he's like 36 years old. Eh, you're right. They're, they're going to probably need a spell here and there and to have depth uh, to be able to, to fill in is going to be key and important. And injuries are always going to occur too, right? You get an injury uh, to any of one of these guys, you're going to have to have somebody to fill in. And I think that the Maple Leafs, along with going out and getting guys like Simmons, uh, VC, Thornton, um, Barabanov, it, it just added to that depth that they're able to to provide uh, this team. And now they don't have to rely on a guy like Pierre Engvall to be an everyday player. They could just put him in when needed. Yeah, exactly. And that's going to be such a huge thing this year, um, you know, an advantage. And um, I, I am curious to get your thoughts on Nick Robertson. Do you, do you see him cracking this lineup at all this year? And, and you know, is it going to be one of the things where they sit him a little bit and then if he gets a shot, he's going to take advantage of it? Or do you see him just kind of being maybe a taxi squad guy? And if the CHL does get going, does he go down there? Like, oh, what do you see happening with uh, with Robertson this year? Yeah, I, I think that he will get a chance to, to be with the Maple Leafs. Um, it's interesting. I, I never actually thought about what if the CHL gets back up and running, what's going to happen. I've kind of always assumed that he was just going to be on the roster all year long. But uh, yeah, I think that he certainly will get an opportunity at some point to showcase. Like you said, some guys are going to need nights off. Some guys are going to get injured. But I think a real saving grace for him is the fact that uh, Sheldon Keith wants this checking line to work and that they're going to be given every opportunity to show that it'll work. And I personally believe that it will work. So I don't think that line is going to get touched very much unless injuries obviously occur and you need to start moving some things around. But guys like Joe Thornton and Jimmy VC, I don't think are, are staples and locks to be, you know, on in the top six uh, wing positions. And you think about the game that Nick Robertson has, he's more suited to play a top six role than he is a bottom six role. And I think if Jimmy VC doesn't get off to a hot start or Jimmy VC just isn't quite doing what, what, you know, he's expected of, I don't think that he's got a very long leash there on that second line. And I wouldn't be surprised if they chuck Nick Robertson up there and he takes it and runs with it. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that, you know, the, especially with the VC thing and, and, you know, Robertson play got to, got to play a little bit in the bubble last year and, he didn't look good or great, but he didn't look bad either. I thought he was just kind of 
most nights not super noticeable, but that's not the worst thing of a, you know, a 19 year old making his debut in the NHL. So, um, you know, I think that the forward core is definitely, I mean, it's always something to talk about with the Leafs. It's, it's the most entertaining part of the team. Um, but you know, the, the most interesting part, just in terms of a, uh, improvement standpoint is definitely this defense core. And I'm really curious to see how this plays out because I mean, I'm personally a huge fan of TJ Brody. I, I think that move bringing him in for, um, you know, what they did, they didn't have to spend any assets to just 5 million, four years, you know, yeah, the end of that contract might look a little risky, but at the same time, like, I really love the player he is today. I think this could help out a lot, but I'm really curious to see how the rest of the decor shakes out because again, they have a ton of names just, you know, who, who can play. And I mean, um, you know, you start with the Morgan Riley, TJ Brody pair, that should be good. Uh, it looks like probably Muzzin Hall again on that second pair. I really love Jake Muzzin as well. Justin Hall, I think he's number four, you know, I think that's an okay spot for him. And then uh, the bottom pair is where it gets interesting. Cause there's, there's a lot of names that, you know, kind of get thrown around in that bottom pair. Yeah. Uh, well, let's, let's stop with that. Let's start with the, the top pair, I guess, and we can work our way down from there. W- when it comes to Morgan Riley and TJ Brody, I, I'm just really happy that finally Morgan Riley is going to get a chance to play with a top end defenseman, somebody who I believe is, is deserving to being a top four guy. He did have a run with, with Tyson Berry last year, but I, I you know, a guy like Tyson Berry, who's more of a, a dwinger, a, a term that was coin last year is like a defenseman winger. He, he likes to jump up into the rush. That's something that Morgan Riley likes to do too. So to have two defensemen like that, it just, it didn't work. They clashed a little bit and, and it just wasn't, didn't go over very well, but a guy like TJ Brody, who, you know, is, is, can be relied upon in his own end, I think is a guy perfectly suited to play with Morgan Riley and TJ Brody seems to be really excited to be playing with Riley as well, saying that he kind of reminds him of his old captain, Mark Giordano. And I mean, if Riley can play anything like Giordano did, we're talking about a a guy who won a Norris trophy a couple of years ago and and somebody who helped him win that Norris trophy was TJ Brody. How can you not be excited for, for this D pairing? I think that they're going to be real, real solid at those two and I think it's not going to be long either before we're saying wow this is the best defensive pairing we've seen in Toronto in years like I, I can't even think of the last time we may have seen one like Caberlet McCabe perhaps um, like it's been a long time since the <laughs> uh, Leafs nation has been able to celebrate top end defending and I think this year is is pretty solid with those two and then you trickle down to that second pair where Jake Muzzin you know I I'm with you. I love Jake Munson. I think that he is is a heart and soul guy. Uh, uh, probably a number two defenseman, but because Morgan Riley's ahead of him on the depth chart, has to play in the three hole, I guess, on the second pair. But you know, this is just a guy who's just going to eat pucks, go around, bang bodies, uh, you know, win board battles, get in in into the one on ones, and you know, I just think that he makes his partner better too. It's funny you said you think Justin Hall is a four. I think it's a little rich. I, I think he's more of a five six, probably more so a six. But Jake Muzzin is so good that he can make Hall look like a four. And I think he did that a lot of times last season. And then we saw once Muzzin went down the playoffs, Justin Hole wasn't able to carry the weight of a shutdown number four defenseman and things kind of went awry for him a little bit against Columbus. But I think that this pairing could certainly work. We've seen it work enough last year. I think there was enough of a sample size to say that those two can work well together. Um, I don't know if it's going to be such a long leash, 
uh, with Justin Hall. It's possible that Bogosian could end up coming in there. It's possible that Travis Dermott, who the Leafs have said numerous times that Travis Dermott could end up playing the right side this year, could go up and, and take that opportunity away from him. So I think that's going to actually help fuel Hall and have him playing well on a, a nightly basis. But for now, I, I think the top four is pretty solid, and I think that's the way it's going to shake out. The third pairing is going to be interesting because, again, I already mentioned Travis Dermott. I don't think he's completely out of the mix to to be, uh, you know, in this top six right now. I think that Lettinen and Bogosian is right now the the pairing, and it's probably one that makes sense. You, you know, Miko Lettinen's a guy who's coming over from Finland and uh, the KHL, and just like Barabanov, probably being given an opportunity to play in the NHL right away was was part of the pitch. So he's going to get a chance to do it, and I think that he actually is going to be. A great player just taking a look at at the few you know clips and the few games that i've watched him play uh over in the khl and what he was doing in finland this year he looks like he's ready to to step into this lineup and be an everyday nhler anyways and it's been glowing remarks from his teammates and from coaches all around leafs camp early on as well so i think that letting is a guy who stapled himself in that third pair lefty spot and then zach bogosian is just somebody who's coming off of a stanley cup victory someone who the leafs were intrigued by and kind of wanted to get last year um and he ended up, you know, going to Tampa and winning a cup, but you know, 30 years old, uh, right shot defenseman, a, a big body at 6'3", 226, rugged, can kill some penalties. Uh, he's kind of uh, a more uh, more likely to play some D-zone minutes and kill penalties than a guy like like Travis Dermott. So I think situationally, Bogosian works out a little bit better in this uh, than, than Dermott does. But again, I, he's definitely a guy who's in the mix there and will get opportunities uh, just because, again, when we talk about Thornton and we talk about uh, a guy like Wayne Simmons and Spezza. I don't know. Zach Bogosian is going to play each and every night. Maybe there's a, a certain team that that is a little more skilled that isn't as as big and feisty. Maybe you look at Montreal. Uh, well, they actually added some beefed up a little bit this offseason, but maybe a team like Ottawa, who isn't as as big. Maybe you know you that's a, a good chance to put in a a Travis Dermott and and see what he's got, but. I think overall this decor is revamped and looks a lot better than it did a year ago. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I think just overall, uh, if you, you know, I, I think it's, you know, it, it's just complete, you know, and um, uh, you talk about Travis Dermott. I really love Travis Dermott's game. And it's honestly one of the things where, uh, you know, you, you sometimes you get players where, you know, you, you line up and you watch them and, you sometimes wonder what you're seeing different that, you know, maybe other people aren't or uh, anything like that. And Travis Dermott is definitely one of those players for me because when I watch him, um, he's not the prettiest player on the ice, that's for sure. But uh, he just kind of, he usually gets the job done and especially in his own end, like, and I mean, statistics will back that up too, where he is really, you know, when he's on the ice, the Leafs don't give up too much in front of their own net. Now, part of that is because last year, the Leafs gave up a lot in front of their own net, just when guys like Cody CC and as much as I like Morgan Riley and uh, Brody, they're not good in their own end, right? So they would give up a lot in front of the net. So maybe it is just more that the team really wasn't a good at it, but Dermot was all right. But um, yeah, Dermot's a guy that I, I really do want to see get a chance in, in 
this lineup somewhere because um, you know, you mentioned Justin Hall and yeah, I think maybe, I think five, six is a fair enough explanation with him. I, I think to me, he's the guy who can play your four hole pretty well, but he, he can't be the one driving it. You know, he needs the Jake Muzzin guy beside him. And, and, and that's why it's so nice to have a Muzzin type. But if Travis Dermott can play his offhand, I'd be really curious to see what he looks like on that third pair, but even up on the, on the second pair too. And, and you know, if he can, uh, if Hall struggles this year out of the gate, you know, and he moves down, I, I still think they're okay. And, um, you know, when it comes to Bogosian, uh, I'm personally not a huge, I'm very high on him, but I, I do think he d- does add a different element. You know, I, I think you mentioned if, if he does what, you know, you said where he plays um, not every game, but, you know, you sub him in against more physical teams or, or teams that are going to have a harder forecheck, you know, I think it, it, there is a place for him, but at the same time, I'm not sure he's an everyday NHL defenseman. I mean, he looked pretty good in the bubble, but he also played a lot of his minutes with Victor Hedman. And some days I think I could look pretty good alongside <laughs> Victor Hedman as well. Right. So um, they definitely have an interesting blue line though. And again, it's, it's never a bad thing to give yourself this many pieces. They have, you know, probably eight playable defensemen really right now. And, you know, before you have to get someone to like Callie Rosen or Martin Marinson, like they were already at last year. And, you know, we, we haven't even really talked too much about uh, Rasmus Sandin or Timmy, uh, Timmy Lilligren. And I think Sandin would be more likely to make the team uh, of those two, but at the same time, just looking at this left side, I, I don't really see where he slots in right away, at least, you know, I think Mikko Lettinen's going to get the go and, and, you know, it'd be really up to him to falter, I think, before someone like Sandine gets the opportunity. Yeah. And like that, that's not a bad thing, right? I, I think I would rather, rather that like, he's only 20 years old. He, and when you look at NHL defensemen, they usually don't start to make an impact and don't break into the league until, you know, into their early to mid twenties. And, I know he's a first round pick and it seems like nowadays everyone wants to rush your first round pick out onto the ice onto the NHL as quickly as possible. But if you have NHL bodies on, you know, $925,000 or million dollar contracts like Lettinen, like Bogosian, you know, it, it doesn't hurt to, to let him ripen and, and develop in the AHL. This year's a little different, I guess, because it's a taxi squad and, you know, yeah, not quite sure how things are going to shape out, but when it comes to a guy like Rasmus Sandin, if he ends up making this team, I think he'll, which he probably will end up on the taxi squad. He'll get a, he'll get his chances. You know, both him and Travis Dermott will both get their looks. They'll both get ice time just because you don't want to ruin their development. Um, but I think he's a player who you don't want to rush either. We've seen first round defensemen get rushed in this city before Luke Shen, and it hasn't worked out very well. So I'm not, I'm certainly okay with not rushing a guy like Rasmus Sandin into this lineup. Um, I, I'm, I'm for development and I think that they'll be able to do it if they're patient enough with him. And eventually he will turn into a top four D in my estimation. Yeah, I always go back and forth with it, um, you know, because I think you can develop guys, you know, you just you don't have to throw them to the wolves right away. But, um, you know, that's more for teams like Ottawa, I think, you know, like uh, the big talk in Ottawa right now is uh, Eric Brandstrom and the fact that it looks like he might be like ninth on their depth chart right now. And, you know, you maybe you could compare it to him and Sandine, but the difference is. Uh, this Toronto Maple Leafs team does and should have legitimate Stanley Cup aspirations. So, you know, if Mikko Lettinen's playing better than Rasmus Sandin, I'm sorry, but Mikko Lettinen's got to be the guy you're playing, you know, whereas, you know, Sandin can obviously develop on, I don't know how much he's going to develop on the taxi squad, but hopefully we know when the AHL gets going, if he can play down there, that, that would be great too. But whereas, you know, the Sens and Eric Branchdom, it's like, 
the Sens have no one better to play and nothing better to do. And again, I don't think anyone's uh, asking Eric Branch to go play top pair minutes in the Ottawa Senators. But, you know, the, the fact that it's like he's to- torched the AHL for about 30 games last year when he was down there and clearly just looked I, I thought he looked great enough. And, you know, but he, he's not up there. You know, it's two very different things. So I definitely agree where it's like you can develop guys in the AHL. And I think that should be a strength for a team like Toronto who has the, the depth up front right now and also, you know, doesn't need to see what they have in Sandine because uh, they're not necessarily worried about it just yet. Right. So. Yeah, not, not quite yet. Like eventually he's going to have to factor in, right? Like Mikko Lettinen, if he comes out and he has a good season, I doubt he's going to only cost like 925,000 again. Uh, Zach Bogosian, if he has a good year, will he sign back for a million? Oh, maybe Zach Bogosian, he's a little bit, older but you know i think rasmus sandin you kind of know what you got in him uh he's he's still gonna be on a cheap contract and and he's just not somebody who you want to rush into it and you're just gonna play the guys who you think can win on a nightly basis and right now i think that letting and bogosian or more so letting i guess because sandin play plays on the left side but i think letting gives you a better chance to win than sandin and i'm not going to prioritize uh, Rasmus Sandin over winning at this point in the Maple Leafs where they are uh, in their path to win a cup. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I, I think it's, you know, if he shows that he's going to get a spot he'll, or a chance, he'll get a chance. And, you know, if he doesn't look good, take him out and, you know, keep developing him. I don't think there's any harm in that. Um, you know, and if, then in the last, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say if he turns out to be playing, like if he ends up on his taxi squad and looks just fantastic. And here's the thing we haven't been able to watch any preseason games. So these are all based on what we saw from him back in, oh, what was the last time we saw Rasmus Sandin? March? Like you're talking about almost a year ago since we've watched him play actual hockey. And, uh, you know, he's a guy who, you know, is at an age where six or seven months, well, since then, I guess it's been more like eight months is a lot. You could develop a lot in that time span. So it's not that he can't do it. And sure enough, maybe he ends up surpassing a guy like Lettinen or a guy like Bogosian or a guy like, you know, Justin Hall or however they end up putting out these lines. And and we do end up seeing Sandine take that leap at 21 years old and end up forcing his way into the lineup. I'm not saying it's not possible, but until I see it or until it's he's able to prove it and show it, I don't have a problem with uh, with the way that things are right now. Yeah, exactly. I think that's totally fair. And, and then, you know, the last talking point on this team, and this is the one I think that I'm maybe higher on than just the general public. And, you know, I get there's some concerns, but I feel like it's overblown at times. And and that's the goaltending with especially the uh, uh, struggles of Frederick Anderson. I definitely think it's fair to say last year he didn't have a good year, especially for him. You know, Frederick Anderson has been a constant top 10 goalie where he's never going to be the top three where he absolutely steals you stuff, but you know, especially over a regular season and even relatively in the playoffs, you know what you're going to get for him. You're going to get like a, a nine 20 ish goalie. Who, who's just going to keep you in most games, you know, steal one or two here or there, but it's not like he's going to be this Vesna caliber goalie. And, and last year he, he struggled. Definitely. It, it's fair to say, but this was also the first year we've seen him struggle in like five years. And I, I know I'm excluding, playoffs a little bit here i'm talking more regular season numbers but you know even last year he was um from goal saved above average you know our uh the one of the better um advanced stats for goalies anyways he he ranked 29th uh for goalies with a thousand or more minutes and that's not great uh you know obviously you want that to be better but uh sometimes i i, I feel like people 
are talking as if he had like a Martin Jones or a, even a Pekka Rene season last year where he was an active disaster. And, and that's just not true where I, and then they, they brought in Jack Campbell, obviously. And I think that's going to help him a lot, but uh, I'm really curious to get your thoughts on the least goaltending because um, that's one area to me where I think they look pretty good, but it feels like a lot of people are really, really worried about it this year. I'll tell you where it's at. This whole season, in my opinion, rests in the hands pretty much of Freddie Anderson. You could say that about a lot of teams, how the play of the goaltender will dictate their success. But I truly believe that about Anderson. So with that being such an important piece to this team, surely there's going to be a lot of conversation about it, which means there's going to be a lot of worry about it because he hasn't played fantastically uh, since coming over to the Maple Leafs. Uh, there's kind of a, a false narrative that he's been great, I suppose. But but once the playoffs hit, he he really hasn't been. And it wasn't last year was actually the the only playoffs where he has been great. I mean, he has a, a record of zero and seven in Game Seven. Uh, and you take a look at, at last year's playoffs. Yep, one eighty four goals against a nine thirty six save percentage. He was great, but that was against a team who just can't score. Like there's no offense on that team. There was no one who was going to put the puck in the back of the net. I get it. Uh, but you look before, you know, uh, the couple of seasons against Boston, a two seventy five goals against the year before, three seventy six with an eight ninety six save percentage. Uh, it, Everyone in Toronto is kind of over the narrative of it's okay. We'll, we'll get through the regular season. You know, the, he needs to start producing the playoffs. That's the biggest issue. I think everyone j just thinks, yeah, we're going to get through the regular season and make the playoffs and Freddie Anderson will be fine. And he'll be able to do that. The Toronto uh, will probably even end up winning the division this year in the Canadian division, but can he get it done? In the playoffs, will he be able to steal games? It's something he just hasn't done at all in Toronto. So, I think that's a big reason why people are scared because it's just something that he just hasn't been able to show us that he's been able to do. I think that's fair. I mean, you know, the, the, the game seven stat, it is, uh, it's definitely concerning when it gets to that many game sevens, you know, I, I try not to put too much stock in, in you know, one game samples, but um, you know, like for, especially with a guy like Jake Gardner, you know, Jake Gardner gets the whole game seven choking narrative. I think it's more just unlucky that he had two bad game sevens or, you know, three bad game sevens. But with Frederick Anderson, when you're 0-7, it's like, okay, yeah, there might be a little bit of smoke there. And, um, you know, I, I think with part, I, I definitely understand that. And part of me uh, says it as well. And, but even in the playoffs, you know, I go back and forth on it. And yeah, I, I definitely uh, do agree that, you know, he hasn't stolen any, he hasn't, and he's had to steal a series or anything. Like I think last year, Jonas Corposalo really stole that series against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like he was light out. Right. And, you know, we haven't seen that Frederick Anderson, but with this mass talent and, you know, this good of a roster with the Toronto Maple Leafs, I don't think Frederick Anderson needs to do that. You know, like this year, this is the best decor I think they've had with this core. You know, you have another year of Matthews, Marner, Nylander getting older and, and maturing. And, you know, you brought some veterans in. So I, I think that this year, you know, especially out of all of them, you, I would almost hope that, you know, obviously in the, in the playoffs, you're going to need your goalies to steal a game here or there. Every goalie's going to have to, you know, who Hudobin did last year to get Dallas to the, the finals. Vasilevsky stole one or two, but um, you know, he doesn't need to stand on his head for seven games. I think if he is just a nine twenty two goaltender, nine twenty five, that might be good enough because this team is so skilled. And that's why I feel a little bit better that, you know, uh, he doesn't need to be a Vesna caliber goalie, but if, he, if he's just an average goalie, this roster should be talented enough that that gets them by. 
Yeah, but what are we talking about here? Are we talking about regular season success or playoff success? Because, uh, again, I, they he will certainly bring this team through the regular season like he's done the last few years. And, and, and when they have the upper hand this season, I think that they'll be able to win it. But once they get to the playoffs, that's just where everyone is worried about. And, you know, he's a guy who's notoriously gets off to slow starts as well. So if, if the season starts slow... You know, games matter just a little bit more because, A, you're playing against everyone within your division. So by losing a game, you're giving two points to a team that you're in a playoff battle with essentially all year long. And then also the fact that there's only 56 games as opposed to 82. So each loss, you know, it's harder to to make up. But with Freddie Anderson, you, you write when, when I, I would say the saving grace this year is that the defense around him is a lot better. And it's always kind of been said like, yeah, okay. Anderson's struggling, but look what he's playing is in front of him. And that's totally, totally makes sense. You know, that, that, that merit is there and they've gone out now and they've improved that, that back end. I think now you look, there's a, a true shutdown pairing ish in Muzzin and Hall. You have a pretty solid pairing in Barry or uh, not Barry <laughs> uh, Brody and Riley. And the third pairing is going to probably just be, uh, you know, kind of fluid a little bit with letting in Bogosian Dermot. And, and like I said, maybe Sandine ends up working his way into that lineup at some point as well. Um, but either way, a much improved defense in front of him. So now there's really, there's no more excuses. If he doesn't get it done, then there's just nothing else to kind of hang your hat on other than the fact that Freddie Anderson isn't the goalie that can bring the leads to the promised land. And at this point, I think that is the true and real objective of this season. I think the team is talented enough to be considered Stanley cup contenders and goaltending is at this point, the biggest question mark and the thing that could hold this team back. Yes, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, you do make good points. I, I just, uh, I don't know, even some of the, the playoff struggles. I mean, he hasn't, I, I definitely fair to say he has not been amazing in the playoffs. And that's why I think when I look at the playoff numbers, it's, um, you know, they're not as bad as I would have guessed. But I, I think some of that might just be because, you know, it feels like um, the, the point made about breaking goals too. Like that's, that's something that, that really, you look at his, his last year, for, for example, you know, yeah, okay, 184 goals against a 936 save percentage, but the couple of goals that he allowed were just like goals that he should have had, and they were just backbreakers and really determined the series. And it's just something that uh, a routine save that he should have made that really killed them and, and buried them in this series and ended up them not making the playoffs and losing out in the wild card round. It's stuff like that that really just eats at a lot of these Leaf fans. Yeah, and that's fair. And I mean, I think the slow start thing. I mean, obviously, they're like, if he he cannot have the um, uh, the normal. Uh, I'm trying to think of what month they start. October. He cannot have the normal October month he usually has in January this year because, like, he his numbers in October are stunningly bad. And um, I, I think part of that does apply to the playoffs too. You know, like especially when I think back on those Boston series, he was just trash for like the first two or three games, and then. By game three, four, five, he really got his feet underneath them. And then six and seven, he was just kind of wow, whatever. And again, like, I feel like that is kind of what, you know, Frederick Anderson describes. And it's why I don't see them extending him past this year. You know, like, I, I really don't see a scenario where he gets a contract extension unless he decides to come back for dirt cheap with the Leafs. But uh, I think for this one year, you know, 
Um, it's fair to say that, you know, if the blue line looks as good as we think it should, um, you know, goaltending will be the question mark. But um, I think with, you know, if you have the Anderson Campbell duo, I really hope that, you know, maybe a little more rest for Frederick Anderson throughout the regular season, because uh, that's something he also has not really had in the past couple of years. You know, last year he got a little more because he, he, uh, he only played 60 games because of the shortened season, but um, you know, like he, he's been played 66, 66, 60. And I think all of them, he's been on pace for almost 70. So I, I hope Jack Campbell giving him a bit of a break, uh, you know, keeps them a little more well rested for the playoffs. And then, you know, we can see if he improves from there at all. That's certainly uh, a kind of a saving grace too, as well. When it comes to goaltending position, they finally have a quality backup that they'll be going into the season with. I, I like Jack Campbell a lot. I've been a fan of him, uh, really, actually, ever since he got drafted back in Dallas. It didn't work out there, but, you know, we've seen what he was able to do when he was with the Kings. And then in the short, you know, times that he spent here in Toronto before the the, the season came to an abrupt end, he looked pretty good in the few viewings that we were able to see of him. So uh, I think that he certainly will be able to spell Freddie Anderson quite a bit. I think there's uh, seven or eight back-to-backs he'll certainly get out of the 56, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's able to to gobble up uh, uh, quite a few more starts because, again, sure, it's it's only 56 games and there's only eight back-to-backs, but there's so many times you're going to see, you know, three games in four nights or three games in five nights where it's, you know, game, rest, game, rest, game, rest. These guys are going to get tired. And for Freddie Anderson, I think uh, he's someone who certainly – does start to falter when he gets tired. We've seen this time and time and time again. It's it's part of the reason why he struggles a lot in the playoffs, like you alluded to. So um, having a guy who I think the coaching staff and the organization, and more importantly, the players can believe in in the back end uh, on nights that Freddie Anderson isn't on the ice, which you can't say the same about a lot of goaltenders who've backed him up over the past couple of years, is certainly a, a big benefit when we look at the goaltending position as a whole. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, even if, you know, Campbell can take, I mean, you said the eight back-to-backs, those will be almost guaranteed, but uh, you know, even that right there would take, uh, you know, 15% of your season. And if he can just, you know, double that a little more, you know, 16 to 20 games ish where he's playing 30 to to 40%, um, you know, it doesn't just help him. It could help, you know, Anderson in the regular season too. So um, it's the exact same conversation I had with the Habs actually, Um, you know, they, they did the same kind of thing, bringing in Allen's to help price. And um, you know, obviously prices peaks are, are much higher than uh, uh, Frederick Anderson, but I, I really do think that this is the move for NHL teams and what they should be doing, regardless of what kind of goalie you have, because, you know, just we, we've seen that the more rested guys can be, you know, the better they look later in the year. And I really think that that is uh, going to be an interesting thing to keep an eye on for Toronto going forward. Yeah, I think interestingly, too, I think a third goalie is is going to be important going forward as well. The guy who you have kicking around on your, on your taxi squad and the Leafs actually went out and got themselves a, a, a half-decent backup goalie in Aaron Dell, somebody who at times was looked upon as a as a 1B, you know, a couple of years ago when he was playing in, uh, in San Jose. So I, I think that is a, a third goalie, so a, a backup to your backup. If, you know, something goes wrong, you have to move to plan B. Uh, Aaron Dell's a, a decent guy who, who I would feel comfortable also playing in net should an injury occur to either Jack Campbell or, uh, or Freddie Anderson, obviously knock on wood that neither happens, but if it does, uh, Aaron Dell, it feels a lot better than having to play uh, a guy like Michael Hutchinson, Garrett Sparks, or, uh, even a player like Casimir Kaskasuo, who got some time last year in the Leafs crease. 
Exactly. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, people might ask, oh, when are you really going to need to use the third goalie, especially in playoffs? Uh, look at the Colorado Avalanche last year, you know. Um, they were using, uh, you know, uh, uh, what, Grubauer and Fransuz both went down, and they ended up using, uh, was it Michael Hutchinson? I can't remember who they, their third guy even was who came in. Um, but, you know, they, they ended up losing to Dallas in the semis. And, you know, so it's uh, – that's where you kind of go, huh? It, it would be good to um, have that goaltending depth. And it was Michael Hutchinson now that I remember, but um, so, yeah, I really like the Aaron Dell pickup. Um, you know, hopefully they can keep him on that practice squad. And cause I believe players who go through uh, or on the practice squad need to go through waivers, but so hopefully he doesn't get claimed for anyone because that, that was a really savvy pickup, I think by Toronto. Yeah, I think so too. And, and they also went and brought back uh, Michael Hutchinson as well. <laughs> I don't know why, but they did. I guess they want to be four deep uh, just in case they have to go that far down into it. And also I think they're ready just, just to have somebody else as, as the AHL goaltender once that season gets up and running. But uh, no, it's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting year here for Toronto. I think that anything outside of a, a long playoff run will be considered a bust for this season. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. Um, you know, the expectations should be pretty high in a normal year. And and now that you really have those juggernauts in Boston and Tampa out of your division, uh, there's no clear picture for, you know, the, the Maple Leafs and th- this year to to really make a run for it here. And, you know, I'll ask you where, you know, you project them to finish in the standings. I have them, uh, you know, I always have to do the thing. 56 game season, anything can happen. You know, if someone goes down with a freak injury, obviously things will change. But, you know, just in terms of on paper, I, I have this team as a clear number number one in the Canadian division and not by a ton, but by enough where, you know, I'm comfortable saying that if I had to pick one team to win, it would be them. And, you know, I, I really, this would be the only team I think in the Canadian division where I think something would have to go really, really wrong for them to miss the playoffs. And, you know, I think they should have high hopes heading into this year. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, I, I personally think that they have Stanley cup aspirations and, when you look at the division, I think they'll finish the top of this North Division or the Scotia North Division, as I guess they're <laughs> called that. So I'll call it that for now, I suppose. But uh, yeah, I, I think for sure. I, you look at these Canadian teams, um, it's, it's going to be tough. Don't get me wrong. I don't think that it's a foregone conclusion that they are by far and away the best Canadian team. But I think if, you know, gun to my head, which one's going to finish on top? I think Toronto is a pretty solid bet. Um, and then two through six is just a jumble. I could see any team finishing anywhere within two through six and then Ottawa coming in, uh, at a seventh and, but in terms of how far Toronto, how far they can go as a team, um, well, the way the playoffs are set up is, is they're going to have to go through all of Canada to get to the semifinals. And if I'm picking them to, to win the division, I, I obviously got to take them as the best team, right? So at the very least, I can see them making it all the way to the semifinals. And depending on who they end up seeing in that semifinal, I, the Stanley Cup is, is, is in grasps. It is in reach this year for Toronto. If they end up having to play a team like, uh, like, like Tampa, or or uh, uh, Colorado, maybe it becomes a little bit more difficult. But if they can luck out and, and end up getting, you know, one of these other teams that uh, that kind of uh, luck their way into the top four and into the semifinals, and they only need to win one round to get themselves into the Stanley Cup. So uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I think that we're going to be watching the Maple Leafs play Stanley Cup hockey this season. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, I, they have the roster to do it. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I feel like people in Canada kind of laugh when you suggest it because it's something that, you know, happens year after year. And it, fans. Oh, yeah. But I mean, it, it, like they look good. Like, you know, like we just talked about, like, they don't really have a hole up front uh, on the blue line. They look really, really good. You know, maybe their bottom pairs or their number four is the biggest question, but even then they have options to fill it. And, you know, in that, um, you know, they've given themselves two options to go with here and that's never a bad thing. So like, I just, I don't know if when you look at this roster, I think it's hard not to, like, you can't just say, no, this team's not going to do anything. They look really good on paper. Yeah, they do. Like I, it's hard pressed to find a team with, with so many skilled guys like this. I mean, I, I personally think that Austin Matthews um, is, is going to win a heart trophy one day. I think Austin Matthews is going to be a, just a force to be reckoned with for the next decade in the league. He's someone who I really do think is going to have a big step this year. Um, and it's interesting. I, I, I saw uh, someone was quoting, um, about Sheldon Keefe saying that he he's, likes to have Manny Malhotra as, as his new assistant. They, they, signed him earlier in the offseason to be a new assistant coach and he likes him because he's recently fresh out of the scene only retired a couple of years ago and is still somewhat familiar with the way the game is played and I said you know where the biggest reason why I'm excited about Manny Malhotra for this team that what he's going to add to these guys in the faceoff dot is going to just be uh, unreal for players like Matthews and Kerfoot you know, these are guys uh, who they've been okay in the, in the face off draw, but you look at what Manny Mahalter did with a guy like Bo Horvat turned him into one of the best draw men in the entire league. If he can have the same effect on Austin Matthews and Alex Kerfoot, think about how many draws are going to be able to win and a team that is focused on a possession game. Well, how do you get possession? You win the face off. So I think that, uh, you know, Austin Matthews, he adds that element to his game. There's talk about him potentially playing on the penalty kill as well um, with the way that he's taking on this defensive uh, abilities as well. So he's going to be un unbelievable this year. And, and I'm just really looking forward to him taking that next step and being one of the top players in the league, let alone in Canada. Absolutely. I mean, I hate to say it as a sense fan, but you know, Matthews is just like, he's got so much talent. He's just so good. And you know, uh, it just, you, you watch him and you can kind of think for, you know, oh, I haven't really noticed Matthews too much tonight. And then suddenly he'll just whip a shot home. It's like, okay, never mind there. And then next shift, you'll, you'll go on the ice and do the exact same thing. It's like, okay, never mind. The game is completely changed out because of him. Like he's just, he's so talented, so good. And you know, he really is like, I think he's a top five center in the league already. And you know, it's amazing that a, a guy who's being paid over $11.5 million is the number one center, was a first overall pick and plays in the biggest market in hockey, might still be underrated league-wide, but, like, I, I, it's maybe just because how many, how many people talk about the Leafs, but, like, that's sometimes what I think of Austin Matthews. I think he's that good. So I'm going to put you on the spot here because you, you mentioned you think he's the top five center in the league. Um, on my podcast today that I'm actually about to record right when we're finished, uh, finished with this, um, one of my... Uh, subjects that I'm doing over the course of the next week is I'm power ranking all the, the positions within the Canadian division. And today I'm power ranking the centermen within the Canadian division. Where would Austin Matthews lie within uh, all of the, with the Canadian teams there? This is a fun one. I did this on my other podcast. I think a month or two ago, I would personally have him too. Honestly, God, like uh, I think McDavid, you know, I, I get there's been uh, like McDavid's one. Um, there's just, no arguing that. I don't think anyone with a, you know, is going to argue that. Um, and then 
for me, you know, you got a, you got a list of guys like uh, Dreisaitl, Patterson, and Matthews, but just with Matthew shot, and he's honestly kind of got an underrated two-way game. He's not winning a Selkie or anything like that, but he's he's responsible enough in his own end, and he's so good offensively where I think there's a really, really good argument that Austin Matthews should be number two. Yeah, the, I, I'm still flip-flopping between Matthews and Dreisaitl. I think those are, are the number two. I, I had Pedersen as my number four. So we have the same top four, which I think most people would uh, would be hard-pressed to put someone else in that conversation. But uh, I, I think that that Matthews, it's funny that you don't think he's going to win a Selkie because I, I think at one point in his career, he will. I, if Sometimes some of the things that he does when he's out there on the ice, when he really has flipped the switch and he gets into give me that damn puck mode is what I like to call it. <laughs> He is just a force, an unbelievable player, and he can just rip the puck from you at will whenever he wants. And he does it cleanly, too. Like, this is a guy who took, uh, what do you have, 10 penalty minutes last year? Like, yeah, he, he doesn't take penalties at all. Yeah. It's amazing. Plays, like, over 20 minutes a game, right? And, and often playing against top-tier talent. And yep. he still is able to wreck the puck from you and do it in a clean way. So I think Austin Matthews is, is bound to win a Selkie at some point in his career, especially if he really does uh, take that next step in, in a two-way game. And if he starts getting some penalty killing time, like there, like there's talk about him doing that this year, if that does become reality, oh, look out. This guy's certainly going to win a Selkie at some point. Yeah, I mean, I should clarify my comment. I didn't think, you know, the, what he played last year, he's not going to, but he doesn't need to, and that's okay. You know, players of his talent have absolutely the ability, and, you know, it's clear that, you know, if he puts his mind to it, he definitely can improve just little things in the defensive end that make him that much better already of a player, which is scary to think about. So, um, you know, I know as an Ottawa fan, it's it's fun getting to watch him four, year, uh, four times a year and, and more this year, but at the same time, then you realize he's playing your team and that is not so much fun. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a treat to get to watch someone like Austin Matthews. He's just, he's such a great player all around. 100%, 100%. It's, I'm excited for the year. I really am. I think that uh, this Leafs team is going to have a lot of success and, and it's going to be a lot of fun watching all the Canadian talent. Really? Like I, I really enjoy watching Elias Pettersson. I really enjoy watching Mark Shifley, Quinn Hughes, you know, obviously getting a chance to see McDavid eight times, nine times this season is, is going to be a treat considering we only get to see him twice here in Toronto. Uh, so I I'm gearing up for this year. I know it's only a, a one-off, so I'm excited for this Canadian division. I'm excited to see what the Leafs are going to be able to do with it. Absolutely. I think it should be a ton of fun, you know, just like an action-packed year. Every game's going to mean something. It's going to be so awesome. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, plug some stuff. Where can people find you and find your work? Yeah, anytime. Uh, you can find my personal Twitter is at Mickey underscore Canuck. Uh, and also go check out the Locked on Lease podcast. It is a daily Leafs podcast uh, where we talk about nothing but the Toronto Maple Leafs. So uh, if you are a Leafs fan, go and check it out. Subscribe. You can find it wherever you find your podcasts. Um, and other than that, uh, I also do technically, if you are a hockey card fan, and it seems like the hockey card market is starting to blow up a little bit, uh, you can also find um, the Locked On NHL podcast. I do a monthly, uh, a monthly hockey card podcast, and I also put it up on YouTube as well, at Canadian Card Collector, where I also do some little uh, other YouTube videos about hockey cards. So uh, those are pretty much uh, where you can find my content. 
Um, perfect. You know, I can't recommend going and checking out that enough. You know, it's awesome stuff. And, and I think people of this podcast would probably know the locked on senators guys as well. And, you know, you do great work as well. So I, I can't recommend, uh, enough to go check that stuff out. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. And as always off to have you on, you know, later in the year, as we actually have uh, some games to talk about and see where things are going. Yeah, definitely, man. I'll, I'll certainly come on anytime.